welcome to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. I'm Bruce Wozniak, and wherever you have found the show, thanks for listening. This podcast is widely available, so know that there are lots of options out there to listen and subscribe. The show website is nhte.net and has lots from all episodes, plus links to social media and podcast listening platforms. Do be sure that you have also signed up there for the weekly e-newsletter about the podcast. There have been some exclusives in the newsletter that either haven't been made public anywhere else or were at least first seen in the newsletter, so be sure you're signed up for that. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from the UK, my guest is a Grammy Award-winning producer and mixer. He engineered on Amy Winehouse's number one Back to Black album and singles for Adele and Morrissey, among others. He also mixed Sting's Live at Durham Cathedral and worked with the police on the pre-production for their world tour. He is also the founder of The Mix Consultancy, which we will talk about today. You've been hearing a song of his called In and Out. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Dom Morley. Hello. Hello, Bruce. Hello, everybody listening. Hi, Dom. Thanks for making time to be here today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Let's get into that song that was just playing first. Share with the audience all about In and Out. In and Out. So that was, um, it was a project I decided to wanted to do my own um, sort of artist project. So I, I did it, did wrote a few backing tracks and then... I spoke to a couple of friends that, that I knew that I really liked their voice and we worked together before. So that was actually uh, somebody called Saint Saviour, um, who's definitely worth checking out. She does much more sort of acoustic stuff herself rather than electronic. Um, but we were happened to be chatting in a pub, I think we were, and I, I mentioned that I was working on this and would she be interested. So thankfully she said, yeah. And so I sent her, I think, about half a dozen backing tracks of just stuff that I thought she might be into. And she picked that one and then sent me a, a, a load of vocals that I just absolutely loved. Um, and then I sort of did the arrangement to make them sort of fit the, the arrangement that I was still working on on the song. So I was still kind of pushing the song around a little bit. So she sent me a load of vocals to work with, and then I built that into, into you know, what it finally is. Uh, but, you know, I think big sort of tribute to her really because i think she did an amazing job she's got a great voice and um and she really turned it from what was an interesting sounding electronic piece into into a great tune i think okay now you and i were talking before i hit record you called that project the band named five stages meaning the roman numeral five so it looks like v stages but my question is is this a collection that's out there somewhere for people to purchase because we're going to hear another song at the end that was also done as five stages or v stages as it might look yeah it's actually pages v pages which um i'll tell you the story so i don't look quite so mad um it was a reference to there's a character called vicky page in a film called the red shoes which is my favorite film um so it was a bit of a nod to that and then i thought v i didn't want to call myself vicky because then uh that would be confusing to have another person's name um so then I called it V pages, and then I thought that I'd be really interesting and call it five pages with the V being a Roman numeral, which obviously just makes it confusing for everybody. <laughs> and I end up having to do this stupid explanation every time. So if you look up V pages 
on sort of Spotify, Tidal, those things, then it's definitely there. So you can uh, you can listen to there's an EP basically, and then some uh, there's a guy from New York called Conrad Clifton who did a really cool uh, remix of one of them too. So that's you can find that there too. So um, yeah, check them out. Cool, cool, perfect. Well, listeners, we're in that awkward end of the year period where a lot of folks are off from work, but you actually find yourself wondering what you're going to do with all the extra time on your hands. If you've been listening to this show for the last several weeks, then hopefully you've been telling yourself you need to listen to the new podcast that Bruce has been talking about from Peter Link. He is a man who has had what you might call a most varied career as a composer and record producer, and a podcast that came out only a month ago that has already been downloaded in 38 countries around the world twice nominated for a tony award on broadway and with a million selling record to his credit and winner of the new york theater critics drama desk award peter link has seen great success in film scoring broadway musicals pop music gospel television and he's even written ballets for the joffrey ballet now he is presenting his life work in a series of podcasts called scattershot symphony the music of peter link And although each episode is 90% music, he manages to entertain us with fascinating stories and anecdotes related to his music over the years. Each episode looks at a different movement in the symphony of his life's work. So if you love music, and who doesn't, you'll love getting an insider's listen to the work, the music, the stories around a life in music. That's Scattershot Symphony, the music of Peter Link. Look for it wherever you get podcasts. Meanwhile, Dom, speaking of symphonies, you have had your hand in so many different projects, as I alluded to in the intro. I didn't even mention the sound design projects that you've done. Everyone has their sweet spot, something that they're particularly strong in. But for you, is it a case of, yeah, but I like venturing off a tad into new areas? Or do you really like to just keep exercising that muscle that has made you a Grammy winner and stay sort of in that lane? Um, you know what? I'm very susceptible to if something, if I get offered something interesting that I've never done before to go, oh, yeah, I'll try that out, um, which means I'm permanently in this massive learning curve of the new thing that I just said, oh, yeah, I'll try that out and see what that <laughs> is. But, uh, you know, it's all kind of music and audio related. So everything does feed into everything else and you end up learning skills that are applicable elsewhere. So that's why, yeah, I ended up making quite a few um like uh what they called sample packs of of synth sounds and things like that which were quite interesting to do um as well as you know my usual studio work which i do and then i got into the sort of education side of things a couple of years ago when i was offered something that looked quite interesting so yeah it's, it is a case of um me liking a new challenge i think that's what it is which i kind of love and i hate really because i love doing something new and then i realize i've taken on like a really big endeavor um, but there we go. It's fine. Life is about <laughs> things. So yeah, yeah, it's all, good. it's all good. So when that does come up, though, and this might be too broad of a question, but is there kind of a go-to resource that you would tell people this is a great place to learn things, or is it maybe a certain person that you go to, or is it, like I said, too difficult to question? It's like, well, it really depends on what the project is, Bruce, in terms of where I dig in to educate myself. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is it is a bit complicated because of the the sort of variety. So I normally try and find... Um, obviously my first my first port of call is google and then i'll try and find hopefully i've got a friend somewhere who's done something like it before and then try and meet up with them and and sort of pick their brains about what i should be doing um and fortunately i've got a reasonably sort of varied friendship around the uh musical kind of sphere so there's normally somebody who's done 
something similar to what I'm looking at doing. So yeah, that's um, that's that's gone pretty well so far. So far, I've always had to find a kind of expert that I'll be able to draw from and then and then apply my own thing. Because ultimately, I think there's, there's got to be a reason why I was asked to do it. So I then sort of try and apply my own um the things that i like to hear and stuff like that into a project that i'm doing so that it's there's a reason why i'm doing it yeah great point great point and i'm sure that that trusted friend is probably going to have their go-to resource that they can say here's my input but you might also want to look here and then like you say kind of put your own dom morley flavor on it so good insight i want to dig in and have you talk about working with a-listers versus the for all intents and purposes, unknowns, the independent artist who is working hard but just doesn't have the name recognition, you're faced with giving them both the same level of service, yet knowing that they're just both operating from a very different place. How do you do that so you're not putting it on cruise control with the A-lister thinking, hey, it's Sting, he's got this. Hey, it's Adele, she's got this. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just treat everybody the same, really. It's not really, um, I don't have much of consideration on that. I guess, I suppose when you're with the A-listers, then uh, to an extent, there's more pressure. Mm. Um, it's just from a different place. So uh, I think if you're working with somebody new, there's there's the pressure comes from making sure that you're just you you're using their voice and you're not putting something on them you know you want to make sure that you're drilling uh, into their personality and pulling out the thing that makes them want to do music and makes them in an individual if you're working with someone like you know sting or, or someone that's just been doing it a very long time then that isn't the pressure um because they already know that um but you've just got to make sure that you're providing the environment that they're used to 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 create and to be as good as they can be because you know they've got more pressure as a as a a-lister than somebody who's doing a new project because the person's doing a new project obviously they've probably paid for them for themselves um so there's definitely a lot of pressure there but they don't have a whole company of people that are relying on them to do a certain sort of level of commercial success which i think is is challenging for anybody uh, when they're particularly when they're doing an artistic endeavor so um so yeah, I think it's I think it's just different pressure to be honest, um, and you just try and approach it the same way, in that you make everybody feel as comfortable as you possibly can in the environment that you've created for them to record in, and just bring your A game for everybody, and then it sort of always seems to work out. So with that indie guy or gal, though, I've got to believe that one of the most important conversations is going to be seeing where they're at psychologically. Do they think they know it all and they don't want you to give them much input at all? Or are they a sponge and are looking to gain as much from you as they can? How tough is it to deal with that first type, though, knowing that they don't know what you know and that they don't know what they don't know? Yeah. Put, put us in put us in your seat as you sit at the console with someone like that in your studio. Yeah, to, to be honest, I've been fortunate that I haven't worked very often with people like that or, or at least if they're like that they haven't been like that with me um and i think that's sort of it's it's partly the way you approach the whole project and when i start with somebody my main sort of goal is i want people to be as creative as possible when they're working with me which that comes from being prepared to make mistakes and being happy to do that so I, I will make that really clear from the outset that that's what we're supposed to be doing and i will myself be throwing in as many ideas as i can and if no one else shouts me down, I'll shout me down and say, no, no, that was a terrible idea. Let's <laughs> do that. 
Um, so, so I sort of try and establish an environment where we're all um, we're all just trying things and we're all learning together and we're all um, we're all supposed to be being as creative as possible and pre- being prepared to be wrong as often as possible so that eventually we can be right mm. and find the things that work. And I think perhaps that's why I don't come across too much of people who put their guard up like that because they've seen me being happy to be wrong um, as often as possible so that they don't come in with a, well, I obviously know it all already, so there's no need to discuss anything because they want to sort of push themselves in the way I am, I think, hopefully. That's the idea is that I'm trying to show them that I'm pushing myself and and, and trying different things and trying as many things to get the best record. Um, so, so people tend to sort of reflect that back to me and do the same so so there's there's that for a start is i don't i don't particularly find that that rears itself too much um but also you know i i go while we're recording and going through the whole process i'll keep talking about suggestions of what we can try and what we can do and i think if you just if you're suggesting that to the artist the whole time as well um they're just getting used to that's that's how we're recording you know that's how this is working um so it's worth them sort of running with it and trying the things and then and then if it doesn't work i say well that was my fault because that was a terrible idea for me Mm. um so let's try another one um so yeah i haven't struggled too much by hitting up against a wall in that respect um most people seem to be open to trying things and and i think it's partly the way you establish how the how the thing's going to work very much from the outfit and i do mean before we get in the studio you know so when we're having a meeting or doing pre-production then i'll be throwing in ideas and and being prepared to be wrong the whole time and i do specifically say i am basically impossible to offend so anytime <laughs> you don't like my idea just tell me and i'll give you another one so i think i think all of that hopefully is what puts people in the frame of mind to prepare to be, experiment and 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 not be worried about feeling like they got it wrong or anything um anything like that that's fantastic and it sounds to me like it is also especially in pre-production when you're first meeting with someone it is giving you that opportunity to confidentially assess on your own how receptive is this person to the fact that i am being open and honest and i am tough to offend but are they do they still have their guard up and and what do i need to do to get them more comfortable and get that guard down as we start working together but the other thing i love about it is that let's face it for those who are the indies that are not the a-listers they're coming in there's still going to be some level of nerves to begin with Mm -hmm. so when they hear you talking the way they do and i'm sorry but i have to say it they're looking across the table at a guy who's a Grammy winner, and they're going to say, okay, he's saying the right things, but I'm still really nervous. I love your approach because it's only going to get them that much more comfortable that much faster. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's funny you mentioned the Grammy because th- that works for you and against you in the way you've described because, you know, it sort of obviously looks good on paper and everyone sees that you've, you've achieved a certain level of success. But then sometimes if someone is nervous in the studio, then the fact that that's there um can make them more nervous which is a shame um which is why i try to you know my wife once described me as um as cool on paper like if you read that <laughs> oh yeah he's a pretty cool guy and then you meet me and realize that i'm not at all <laughs> so, so i try and make sure they realize that and so um yeah so that uh we can kind of get over those sort of nerves and just get on with with trying to get the best from everybody in the room really <laughs> Well, let's hope that you're cool on audio, too, and people enjoy the episode. 
Yeah. Uh, on a recent episode of this show, a guest talked about their new album and how the pandemic forced them to self-produce. The point that was made was that this artist liked the experience because they felt that they were able to get their own authentic sound on the record rather than something that was influenced by a signature sound that's going to show up on the projects that a particular producer might work on. Do you agree with that statement and why or why not? Uh, yeah, I do totally actually. And and as much as I have worked with producers who have signature sounds and I understand that and it actually makes a lot of sense from a commercial point of view as a producer, because then somebody can come to you and they know what they're getting. Um, and you know, you know, that's some people want a sound. And so they go to the guy that has that sound and that, that isn't a, a, a valuable niche. But personally, I think, you know, there are, there are fewer professional producers in the world than there are artists. And so we don't want to be limited to just the sounds that these producers make. We want to be as varied as there are um, artists. So mm. I, I try as much as possible to not have a sound. And I would rather just be able to embellish uh, and get the best out of whatever the artist I'm working with is looking for. So um, ultimately, I guess there's some things that there's, there's bits of, or oh, sorry, there's the genres of music that I understand more than others. So if someone came to me with a black metal album and said, can you help us out? I'd say probably can't actually, because I don't listen to that sort of music and therefore I wouldn't be able to know which way to push you mm. um, to get the best out of you. So I, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a record, I'll listen to demos and stuff before we start, before I say I'll take a job on just to make sure I know that I can make, you know, I can get this better. You know, I, I, I can, I'm the man for the job and I can, I can get a better version of this. I can ideally get the best version of them is obviously what I'd be hoping for. And if I don't think I can deliver that, then I'll just have to say no. And normally able to recommend, you know, one or two people who I think probably can do the job and are more in that genre. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not someone who at all tries to make the record sound like I made it. Um, it's, you know, I, I, would personally consider that a bit of a failing because that would mean it sounded more like me than the artist and that's really the opposite of what I want to do mm. well I don't get the opportunity to talk to that many producers on this show and this might be Captain Obvious if I say to you what advice would you have to other producers so that they don't kind of pigeonhole themselves and get painted with that brush but I guess it's what you just said it's well work with different genres that you're comfortable doing and be more open to what the artist wants to do. Am I right or am I leaving something out or, or do you disagree with some of that? I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts in case there is anybody listening who's a producer that maybe has kind of fallen into that, uh-oh, people are painting me as, you can tell what he's worked on. Yeah, yeah, well, the, the, to be honest though, I mean, that that it's it all depends on, on your approach to it. I, I wouldn't be happy with that um, myself, but then as, you know, as we covered at the beginning, I like change and I like doing different things so i relish the opportunity to do something that that's pushing me in a slightly different direction um but for other producers it has been phenomenally useful for them and their career to present themselves with this is the sound that i do so mm. i actually don't think it's it's that much if that's your thing then it's i think it's actually makes more commercial sense as a producer to 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 demonstrate i do this one thing and i do it really well and then just see who needs see who needs that thing okay. the the thing you run up against is if you're particularly successful your scene will, your scene will be timed you know you will have a period where everybody wants that mm -hmm. and then you've got to come up with a new version of you and i think mark ronson was a good example who obviously i engineered for quite a lot during the 
period I worked with Amy and Adele and a few other people, um, is that he had that sound that was Amy's album and that was his album version. And and the the Adele track Cold Shoulder, you can tell it was Mark in that period because of the, the sound of it. Um, and he nailed it. You know, he did that brilliantly. Everybody wanted to hear that at the time, and that worked really well. And then he sort of um, he did a few other things. And then he came back with a global hit with uh, Bruno Mars, and and came back with a different sound that wasn't the one that that we'd done with Amy um, mm. and and on his own stuff. So if you do that thing, you have to be able to reinvent yourself as well. You know, another good example is Phil Spector, who had the Phil Spector sound, which was globally massive for actually only a short period of time. Relatively, he was it was about ten years that he was having his big hits, mm-hmm. um, and then bizarrely, considering what a massive tune it was, River Deep Mountain High was the one that sort of buried him in the states because um, it wasn't as big as hit as the previous ones were, and he'd sort of wound up a lot of people, and so everyone was ready to take him down. But that was a big sound for 10 years, and then it wasn't anymore. And then he struggled to get sort of struggled to get work from that point on, which is crazy considering the <laughs> success he had. But that that's that's the fallout of having a good sound, so a good uh, signature sound. So it, it's kind of it's it's got positives and negatives. So you've really yeah. got to decide what suits your personality. I think it's like if if there is one thing that you love, then just go for that and know that you've got a short window. Um, unless you're perpetually reinvent yourself later on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started into all that by mentioning the artist who had been on this show that said that the pandemic forced them to self-produce. What is your message to an artist who feels that because of the pandemic, they can't go record at a studio? Um, yeah, that is... Obviously, everyone's got their own um, situation, depending where they live and the level of risk where they are. Certainly over here in the UK, um, we've established protocols that enable studios to remain open, um, it's obviously considerably more difficult than it used to be, um, and um, yeah. So, so, but, but obviously, you know, if you have vulnerabilities and stuff like that, then you shouldn't be taking any sort of risk whatsoever. Um, and in which case, I know it's difficult, and uh, and the, there are ways to collaborate. It's just you can't do it in real time. So, I think that's what I would do: is I would try and reach out to other people and do remote collaborations that at least allows you to bounce ideas off people because mm. generally that's you know that's why people don't want to record on their own is because it's you know I've done it obviously I did an EP on my own and and you know for one of the songs I, I got a friend to to write the the lyrics and melody and and that really helped sort of spur it on and it, it is that sort of bouncing ideas off people which which is the thing that this whole pandemic is making it difficult for musicians to do. So you just have to approach it a different way and do it in a more long-term basis. So sending files back and forward. And, you know, that is something that's also happened over the years and worked really well. Like a good example being the band, the postal service. And my understanding is they got that name because the entire of that first album was made essentially using the postal service. <laughs> they didn't meet and they sent files back and forwards, I think on dat tapes, because it was back whenever that was 99 or 2000 or something um and and so they wrote a brilliant record that way um so yeah it can be done it's more difficult it's more challenging um and everyone will come out of it with some some new skills which uh we didn't want to have but perhaps will serve us well (laughs) indeed indeed i'm joined today on the now hear this entertainment guest line from the uk by grammy award-winning producer and mixer dom morley visit his official website at dommorley.com As always, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. 
On his website, you will see icons to link over to Dom's Twitter and Instagram. There is also a Facebook page for where he does all the work that we've been talking about so far. That Facebook page is at Mia Music Studio, spelled M-E-A Music Studio. Engage with Dom on social media and tell him that you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. Dom, your studio, as I just mentioned, is called Mia Sound Studio. Are you a commercial studio? Can anyone and everyone contact you to see about possibly working together or no? And for that matter, does an artist have to sell himself or herself to a studio as to why the studio should work with them? Or is it simply a case of the old, hey, as long as the check clears, I'll take the work? Um, yeah, well, I'm not sort of fully commercial, really, because it's just my studio. So it's where I do my work. So um, I, I've let it a couple of friends use it in the past, but it would have to be someone that I knew very, very well before uh, I let them use it. And, and I would have to have enough sort of capacity in spare time to let it go. So it really is just where I work out of. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think I think generally with a commercial studio, yeah, the answer is can you pay? And that's that's really <laughs> the bottom line. That's where they're at. You know, they're not in a very good place at the moment, particularly. Um, but with me, obviously, it's the it's the consideration of whether it's a project I think I will make better by my involvement in it. Um, and and so, yeah, it, obviously, presumably majority of your audience are in the States um, with you being there. Um, in which case mixing is a more likely thing that I would be able to help people out with because because um, that's easily done remotely. Um, but I do do productions as well from here where I can record everything but drums. I go elsewhere for drum recording and then all the overdubs I do in here and obviously I mix in here as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of my space really rather than a sort of fully commercial facility. Okay. Nonetheless, though, your website your studio is no different than any other in that when an artist looks online, they're going to see all the gear that's on hand. And this is another opportunity for a great teaching moment in that I would love for you to explain to those in the audience who are aspiring performers, why they should care about what a studio uses and maybe what they should be looking for that way when they are looking at a studio that they might potentially use. Mm, that's a very good question, actually. Yeah, because to some level they shouldn't, to some level they shouldn't. Um, uh, I guess what you would be looking for would be if you have specifics such as I uh, I know I w- my vocal works particularly well with X type of microphone. Then obviously if they've already got one in there, then that's a good start. If you are looking to do a lot of guitar recording, then then finding a studio that happens to have a load of amps or guitars kicking around, then that's going to give you a lot of different flavors for your guitar recordings, uh, which will make life a lot easier and and make the recording a lot more interesting. Um, So there's certainly sort of backline considerations when you're looking at a studio. Um, In terms of the other gear, um, I think it's just if, if you can read through and you've got a rough idea of what gear you like or what is, you know, high quality stuff, then you can look through and go, okay, this studio has got a lot of good gear in, which means they probably turn out some decent things. And then the consideration from there is who's using it. Because, you know, I worked in a studio called Metropolis in Chiswick. That's where I sort of trained. Largest independent in Europe, lots of very good gear. And some people made it sound glorious and some people made it sound like a complete mess. Mm. So really, you know, being in in a studio where you have got, you know, I'm, I'm assisting a whole range of people over the years that I'm there and 
and hearing some very, very different results coming out of the same equipment. Um, You realize that that what the equipment does is it sort of, it, it enables the right person to get a really good sound, but you have to know what you're doing with it in order to get that sound out of it, if you know what I mean. So, um, so the, the equipment is important, but only in the right hands. Well, and listeners, I promise you, Dom did not know the questions that I was going to ask him, but that segues beautifully into <laughs> what I wanted to ask you next, which is g- going back to that guy or gal that I mentioned before, who's doing it themselves from home, mm-hmm. how how can they best position themselves for success in terms of a great sounding finished product where budget might be a concern? Because I'm thinking of, for example, on your Instagram, you have a post showing a beautiful compressor from the good people at DW Fern, mm. which includes the Hazel Rig Brothers. By the way, listeners, if you remember, they were on this show way back on episode 156. But for someone like me who isn't in an elaborate studio like yours, my compressor is virtual. It's a plug-in. So again, what advice do you have so that someone whose project is DIY doesn't necessarily sound DIY? Okay, yeah. Well, the the thing is to, to keep it simple. That's really what I think people lose sight of because it's very easy to get pulled into the idea that the next next plugin that comes along is going to make the difference to your sound and mm. and and then weirdly it doesn't so then you buy the next one <laughs> and then weirdly <laughs> that doesn't work either so you buy the next one because that promises that really is going to and and it's oh desperately unnecessary um you could get by and actually make a great sounding record with just a handful of 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 quality things be it plugins or outboard you know, it doesn't matter dramatically as so long as they're good quality and you know how to use them. And that's what it's about. It's not just sticking the thing on and going, does it sound better now? It's really getting to grips with what EQ is doing and why you should be using it. And the same with compression and the same with balance. So with those things more, concentrating on those things will make a difference. Concentrating on acquiring more gear will make less difference is it you know it comes down to the knowing how to use it rather than just buying more so in terms of what to what to stock your studio with i would say it would be the simple things i mean like if you you know if you've got a reasonable budget the hazelrig brothers is a great example because their um their vlc1 recording channel is phenomenal you know mic pre eq everything that goes through it just sounds better so you know if that was the only one you had you could make an amazing sounding record um and then in terms of mics people often ask about microphones and and the answer on microphones really is um there's not one mic and there aren't like like for a vocal for example there isn't one mic that's great for all vocals you're best off getting a small collection of mics that work and one of them will be better than another one for a particular vocal so if say you got on a lower budget, so you've got an SM58, which is about 80 quid over here. The SM7B, which is going into posh territory at about 300 quid, I think they are. Those are two brilliant dynamics that have a different sound. And then something like an Aston, is it the Spirit or the Origin? I can't remember the cheaper one of those, which I think is about 200 quid. And if you had those three mics, you'd have a good array of sounds from your microphone. So you could record a bunch of stuff and you could always put all three of them up try them out and one of them is going to sound better than the other two and there's a step towards getting a more professional sound um so yeah a few simple bits of gear that you know really really well will make 
a big difference to the quality of of what you can what you can make in your home studio and just not getting sucked into the buying another plugin because it's um because it's on sale or it's shiny um because uh that doesn't get you anywhere apart from poorer yeah yeah i love it i get i get it because saying that you have 12 different tools to use in your studio is one thing but being good at six of them is a lot better so you're just wasting time and money with the other six this this leads us this leads us nicely into i mentioned way back in the intro that you have the mix consultancy explain to the audience all about that if you would yeah well that sort of that came out of my um wanting to do something educationally and 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 it was because i realized a lot of people are like me these days we work in our own studios and we do our own thing and back when i was assisting which was sort of late 90s early 2000s um we learned as assistants because loads of freelance engineers came through studios and we we got to work and assist so many different people um and with all the studios closing down and more people doing work like like i do in here that knowledge isn't being passed down in the way that it used to. Um, so I sort of worry about next generation of engineers not not having as much access to to uh, people with more experience um, than them. So I had that in the back of my mind. So I was trying an educational things. I, I, I do guest lectures at universities and I have a part-time job um, tutoring a master's course um, at Leeds Conservatoire in music production. So those those things kind of help. Um, again, those, those help a certain, uh, a small bunch of people who are in the old days, it was fortunate enough to get a job in a studio. These time, these days it's fortunate enough to be able to afford the time and money to be in full-time education. Okay. Which is, you know, that's great. If you can do that, that's the best way of learning. Um, so what I decided is if I set up a little website and people can come on, upload their mixes and I can talk them through, having a good listen in my studio, I can talk them through the areas of their mix that aren't as strong as they should be and tell them how they give them a few ideas of how to fix it. And often it's a technical thing, like there's an EQ thing that they haven't heard. Um, but then sometimes it will be like, you know, the, your chorus isn't landing as well as it could do. There's a lack of, uh, you know, something going on in the top end at that point that they should. So there might be production things as well. So. It's just the sort of stuff that you pick up when you're an assistant in a in a studio because you're in conversations where people are talking about this all the time, but you don't get that when you're you're sat at home sort of trying yourself. And you can watch YouTube videos all day um, that teach you how to do a certain thing with the bass or, or fix a certain problem in your mix. But if you don't know that's the problem that you've got, then mm-hmm. you don't know to fix it. So that's really where I think the 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 sort of people who are choosing to educate themselves um, in in mixing and audio production, um, that's the big thing that they don't have is the opportunity to to have somebody who's got, you know, perhaps 20 years more experience than them saying, oh, these are the areas that you haven't noticed. This is what you haven't heard and this is why your mix isn't working. Um, so that's basically the idea of that is the mix consultancy is it's a website you can upload your mix and within two working days, I managed to hit that, that target 95% of the time. Within two working days, I'll have you back a, a long PDF explaining all the different ways that you can make your mix sound better, um, and that just it, it really does help people. And the reason the reason why I chose that format as a way of helping is because it's what happened to me once, and it was I was working on this project. Um, it was a very big band who had decades worth of material um, that was all on two inch tape, and we were basically putting it all into Pro Tools. And every time we put a track in, uh, we had to do a rough mix. 
so that the band could sort of be reminded of stuff that they might have forgotten about, you know, mm-hmm. tracks that they'd written but forgotten about because it was a couple of decades on. So anyway, there was there were three studios working. It was a big project. There was three studios working uh, with three mix engineers um, and a producer who was also a mix engineer as it happened, but a producer sort of wandering between the three, and I was one of the assistants. And then I had that fortunate situation where my the guy I was engin- assisting for, the engineer, got sick, so he was off for a couple of days. And so the producer, who I knew reasonably well, said, hey, look, Dom, do you just want to do this instead for a couple of days while this guy's off ill? Um, if you sort of set up the mixes, give me a shout when you're when you're done, and I'll come down and I'll just kind of finish them off. Mm-hmm. So what I got to do was do the best mix I could, and then somebody with 20 years more experience than me sat down and made it sound a lot better. Mm. And I was obviously just like glued to his shoulder trying to work out what he was doing yeah. that was making what I thought was good sound <laughs> so much better. Wow. Um, and in two days, I learned so much just mm. from having having that experience, which is why that's why I'm sort of offering it. Basically, it teaches you um, where the things that you can't hear or that you're not hearing. and Your critical listening skills go up very quickly when you you get that experience so that's yeah that's why i I wanted to offer that as the experience on the mix consultancy in a way to kind of help fill in that gap um with people having access to to more experienced engineers okay but clarify for me though when someone hits the mixconsultancy.com and they do what you're describing and you send them back this pdf Mm -hmm. is there an opportunity for them to come back and say okay so i tried what you said and i'm still not getting it and or is there an opportunity for them to say, look, I appreciate all the time and the feedback you gave me. Um, gosh, I read it. And could you just do this for me? Yeah, right. OK. Um, to answer the first one. Yes. Yeah, so there's, there's one. One is I do say, you know, if I haven't made myself clear, then obviously just email me back and I'll I'll I'll, I'll rephrase it in a way that hopefully is clearer. Um, but I have two packages. I have a gold and a platinum. So the gold is the process that we described. And then the platinum, once you've done the moves that I suggest, in the first round you send the mix back to me and then i i go from there and go okay from here these are the changes i would now make send that to you and then you make those changes and send it back to me and i do a third round and normally wow. that that's for people who are basically as anal as i am and want to get absolutely nailed and and i know from that third one and obviously the amount of feedback gets a little bit less every time because we're really honing in on some details that are really taking us over the line into a properly professional sounding mix. Um, so, so yeah, if you if you're yeah if you want to go deep, then absolutely the platinum service will do that. And in terms of um, yeah, I mean obviously I'm a, you know I'm a mix engineer, so if if it all is a bit overwhelming and you'd rather that um, that I just did it, then then you you know obviously we can talk about that instead, and I can see if um, okay. if that's an option okay. for you, yeah. And I love this because I'm looking right now, listeners, at themixconsultancy.com, and it says, who needs our service? And one of the three things that's listed there, it says, you want discrete professional feedback on a mix you're working on. And I like that because what I find, Dom, is I think there's so many, you know, the egos get in the way in the music business, Mm -hmm. and I think it's really hard for someone to admit that they need help or that they want help. I find this myself, and listeners, hopefully you know, that I'm an artist manager, publicist, all those kind of services. When you go to the show website, if you actually go to the homepage of the site, if you click on where it says home, you see an article there that says uh, video consultations available. And I like, as you say here, discrete professional feedback. So I offer people the opportunity to get on a video call with me and have a private call. And I think it's hard for people to say, I'm really struggling with this mix and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And the 
probably the biggest challenge I'm having is admitting to someone publicly, I don't like my mix and yet I don't know how to fix it. Mm. So I love that you're offering this service and they can come to you confidentially and say, what am I doing wrong here? What am I missing? And, you know, as you said, it might be something that's pretty obvious. It just takes that professional opinion for someone. And I'll say it again, someone with that Grammy credential behind them to say, you know what, all you need to do is tweak this, or actually the problem is over here, and they go, wow, thank you. And and nobody had to know that they needed to go to Dom Morley to get that fixed, and it comes out sounding great, and you and them are both happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I get, I get some people that are, you know, artists that mix themselves, and they, you know, they, they'll they'll put, you know, I see them sort of credit the mix consultancy with advice or whatever, which is lovely, but utterly unnecessary uh, because uh, also I like helping out the, the the clients that come to me and they are, you know, they are freelance engineers and they're mm. possibly maybe a little bit early in their career or they're, they're doing a genre they're a little bit less familiar with. So they're feeling a little unstuck. So then they just send it to me and and I'll give them a load of feedback. I'll help them along with it. And no one is the wiser, you know. They send the band back a great mix, and wow. everybody's happy. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, that's important because I got that, you know, when I was an assistant in um, and, and a sort of a new in-house engineer and stuff. I had producer friends who had been around a lot longer than me, and I would play them a mix and go, "Look, do you mind? Just tell me three things you'd change in this." Mm. And they'd give me. Uh, essentially kind of a quick version of, of what I do on the mix and stuff. So they give me three things that change and I go back and change it. Band are happy and, and I've I've learned a lot in the process. So um yeah, I'm very happy for, for people to just just discreetly use it as part of their, you know, part of the service that they offer, you know, as a mix engineer. Wow. Um wow. And no, no one knows apart from me and the me and the guy. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. Are you at liberty to talk about any of the projects that you're currently working on? Um yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's some that I'm not. But I'm doing. Um, actually, you know what? The biggest, and this is actually another sort of accidental plug for the mix and so on. See, but it's it's the thing that stresses <laughs> me out at the moment. Um, <laughs> I, I decided that there's also value to be had, and instead of just helping people on the spot when they're when they're stuck on a mix, uh, but actually providing courses so that if people really want to kind of study something and they're not doing full-time education then then i can help them out with that so i'm writing quite an involved course on everything i know about vocal production wow um so it's a lot on there's a bit on the engineering and technical side but to be honest vocal production has got so much to do with psychology so um it's a lot of that and how to make people comfortable and how to work with people a bit like we were talking about earlier on to be honest like, like we were touching on how to how to deal with people and make them feel creative and comfortable and perhaps they're a little bit reticent or worried or yeah. or nervous so um i'm writing a a course on that which i'm hoping to be available via my mix consultancy website in january if i manage to pull my finger out and get it done <laughs> uh, so that's um yeah that's going to be good i think i think that's it really is everything that i i can think of that that would help people get great vocal performances so so that's the big push at the moment because okay. it's kind of the end of the year and i've wound down a bit i've got a couple of mixes that are 
hanging and going to be done in the next year and a couple of things that people have asked me to do in terms of production but i haven't started they're starting in january so okay. i've got a few things but i'm I'm basically trying to concentrate on getting this course done so that that can be that can be out there and and it can be uh hopefully helping people make better records yeah I've, i feel i feel your pain i've i've been trying to finish up a course myself for a while now and i've got some people that have already told me let me know when that's out and i'm going yeah okay self <laughs> you're on the clock here so exactly <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And you just, you, especially the deeper you get into it, the more enthusiastic you are for it because you know it's really helpful for people. That's right. But, you know, the harder it is and, and, and the bigger a project it becomes. But, yeah, it, I'm, I'm knuckling down on that, definitely. Listeners, I was greeted this morning by the latest issue of the Access Vegas newsletter having come into my email inbox overnight for all intents and purposes it dawned on me that not only is this episode of now here this entertainment being recorded nine days before it's being released but you might not necessarily be listening to it right on release day heck maybe you're listening to it a week or 10 days after it comes out the point being that things change so fast in las vegas that not only can there be a newsletter devoted entirely to everything going on out there but that's why you should be subscribing to it. I might tell you something that I read this morning when I looked at the latest Access Vegas issue, but if you're not listening to this interview until a couple, two, three weeks after it comes out, you could have missed important developments from out there. One tip that I read in the latest issue was how much notice restaurants seem to be getting from guests wanting to make reservations, which is helpful so you don't call and find out that they can't accommodate you at your desired time. There was even something on where in Las Vegas to watch the Super Bowl from in February. Read all this and more by going to my show website, nhte.net, and clicking on the Access Vegas logo. And then during sign-up, put in the code BRUCE to get $5 off. And of course, as you've heard me say before, as a member, you'll also get access to their 12 special reports and access to their private Facebook group. But most of all, it's the tips, it's the savings, it's the insider information that you'll gain from folks who've been publishing this for years from right there in Las Vegas. Again, go to my show website, nhte.net, click on the Access Vegas logo, and during sign-up, remember to put in the code BRUCE for listeners of this show to get $5 off. Dom, we are in the home stretch here, and I'd love for you to do a little storytelling, if you don't mind. I'm sure there are listeners who would love to hear about your work with some of the big names I mentioned back at the start of this episode, like Sting or Adele or Amy Winehouse, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, stories, stories, stories. Uh, oh, here's a good one. Okay, so if you're, if you're a fan of Amy, then I recorded the vocal on a track called He Can Only Hold Her, and... Um, and that morning, she had had delivered a leopard print bedspread. Okay, so she was very excited about the uh, the new leopard print bed that she had. So um, while we were recording the vocal, she did a little ad lib of going, uh, "I've got it went something like, and I'm a, a, an awful singer. Um, uh, I've got a leopard print bed. I've got a leopard print bed." And then Mark kept it and turned it down. And if you listen between the first chorus and the second verse, you can hear her singing, I've got a leopard print bed twice. Mm. And I've said that to a lot of people who are big fans and they hadn't noticed it before. So wow. um, next time you're listening to He Can Only Hold Her, listen out for the leopard, leopard print bed. <laughs> very good. Very good. I like it. It's kind of a, an Easter egg, as they call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was uh, that was quite funny. And it, yeah, it's funny how people haven't noticed it when when they've heard the song a thousand times. I guess those things happen. Um, 
Yeah, what else? I mean, there's, there's obviously the, there's, there's things that you can't talk about sure. um, that are vaguely interesting. This was quite a mad one. Only in a kind of occasionally I've, I've had a what on earth am I doing in this situation <laughs> thing. And it was um, it was while we were setting up the police for the tour. And obviously those guys hadn't played together for many years, much as they are, you know, incredible musicians. Um, any band has got to get used to playing together, regardless of, of how good you are individually. So... Um, they sort of they did a lot of jamming as well as you know preparing the set they did a lot of just jamming around so there was um a few times uh they just jam not in the studio space that we set up but just kind of after dinner they that i set them up a little area in in um in sting's house where we were um just where the, the three of them could sit there and and not with the sort of crew of us around just sit there and and, and chat and jam mm-hmm. and because there were a few bits of gear set up i said look i'll just sit around the corner um, it was this sort of massive stone staircase. I said, I'll sit around the corner. So if you need anything, you can just give me a shout and I'll come and sort of sort you out with whatever you need. Um, and so that what what it ended up being was I essentially got a private police gig. Wow. About three nights in a row, I got just just me sat there around the corner listening in this beautiful echoey mm. stone stairwell. Um, listen to the three of them playing through their songs and other people's songs and just kind of playing around having good fun. Um, which was, you know, at the time, I, I really was pinching myself. And <laughs> I can't believe that I am in this situation. And I'm actually getting paid as well. This is nuts. This is my job. Um, that, was, yeah, that was a fairly crazy situation. They came around looking for you and said, well, what is this puddle over here? And I wet myself yeah. with excitement. I can't believe I'm <laughs> sitting here listening to you guys play. Yeah, that, they didn't need me anyway. Everything worked. No leads required or anything like that. So I was just essentially sat there with a glass of wine, just uh, <laughs> just enjoying the gig. Yeah, Fantastic, fantastic. Well, at the beginning of this episode, we played a song from the, I'm going to call it the Five Pages Project, the mm-hmm. v- Roman numeral five v pages uh we're going to close today with another one of those songs this is titled only one first though share with the audience all about this song if you would please uh yeah so this was um this was again this was a backing track that i had and then i had an idea that i wanted just like a vocal sample so i did try i i I used a vocal sample from a record um but it didn't work as well as I wanted it to. So what I did instead is I got this uh, singer called Amber, and she's she's amazing. Um, and in fact, I, oh, I slipped my mind the name of her band because they're really good. So I'll email it to you, Bruce, so you can put it in the show notes so okay. people can check out. She's an absolutely beautiful voice. And she just came in one day as a session singer and just sang this line, um, you're the only one I ever loved, um, which I then kind of, I got her to do a few versions of it, and then I kind of chopped it up and used it as, you know, used it as a sample rather than it, it be a song. So, um, yeah, that's where that sort of that's where that comes from. It was an idea that it was going to be a sample and then the sample didn't work. So kind of recorded a sample instead and used it as a sample afterwards. Wonderful. Wonderful. Dom, it's been so great having you on the show. Thank you so much for being on Now Hear This Entertainment. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Listeners, that will do it for another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to Grammy Award-winning producer and mixer Dom Morley. Do visit his official website at dommorley.com, and then from there, find links to engage with him on social media. 
meaning follow him on Twitter and on Instagram. I did so myself on both of those platforms this morning, so please do the same. Remember the Facebook page for where Dom hangs his hat is at Mia Music Studio, M-E-A Music Studio. For that matter, tell Dom you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment. Remember also about the website he talked about, which is themixconsultancy.com. That's going to do it for episode 360. I really do appreciate everyone who listens to the show every week. We will wrap up this episode with another song from Dom Morley. This is the one you just heard him talk about called Only One. <laughs>